Welcome back to Camden Cast, your unofficial Baltimore Orioles podcast from CamdenChat.com. Joining you for the first time in 2012, but surely not the last. I am Mark Brown, Eat More SK on Camden Chat. Along for the ride, my partner in crime, Andrew Gibson. Andrew, 2012 is supposed to be the year of the apocalypse as prophesied by the Mayans. I think we've seen the first signs of that in uh, the rumors last week that the Orioles were checking out Manny Ramirez's batting practice. <laughs> well, that's going to be it, right? I mean, well, on the other hand, I don't know if it's a foretold prophecy of doom considering signing a washed up slugger is very in character for the Orioles so uh maybe a washed up slugger who will miss the first 50 games of the season right who's had a steroid history two positive tests in the case of Manny Ramirez so I was hoping that was about as groundless as uh some guy I can't imagine some guy from the Chicago Tribune writing that there was apparently discussion of the Orioles trading Brian Roberts to the Chicago Cubs for Alfonso Soriano, which is uh, really pointless and dumb. And I hope that guy had no good reason to write that. Well, it's January. There's not a whole lot actually going on. <clears throat> so, I don't know. Make up some rumors, I guess. It's true. If you are a baseball writer and you have to write something about baseball every day, uh, your life probably sucks in January. <laughs> yeah. So you start, hey, why don't like the Orioles trade their dead contract for our dead contract and we'll kick in some money and maybe we can make this work and it'll be interesting. It, it'll fill in the Monday afternoon column at least. So Andrew and I don't have that problem because we don't have to talk about the Orioles every day, although our 2012 resolution is to record podcasts more often, perhaps not during the offseason, but definitely during the regular season. But since it's been a while, we have a number of things to run through for you in case you have forgotten, which you probably haven't, but I don't know. Some, some of these some, some things you might wish you could forget, like the Orioles trading for Dana Eveland, which honestly, every time I remember, I just get sad because his ERA, it's not his good ERA that, is very sad. It's not good that you keep forgetting. I keep forgetting, too. Like, oh, right, they got Dana Eveland. What are they going to do with him? And really, hopefully they're not going to do anything with him because uh, if he starts many games, it's probably not a good sign. Or the the one uh, pickup of the offseason that I seriously I, I have to go to the Orioles.com roster to keep track of these things is uh, Darren O'Day claimed off waivers from the Texas Rangers. Right, we can never get enough uh, ex-Texas Rangers on the Orioles right now, apparently. And uh, we've also got the backup catcher Taylor Teagarden, who we traded a couple of minor leaguers for. Although, you, you know, right when that happened, there was like this weird mini outcry, like oh, we gave up two guys for Taylor Teagarden, and like, I can't even remember who those two guys are anymore. I don't either, because it's not that important. And I mean, for the Orioles who were bad, you want to think, okay, well, you need prospects, but these were, you know, filler guys. Right. Not, not prospects. They were, they were guys who play minor league baseball, but not really guys who were going to impact the Orioles' major league roster right. ever. Like one of them was Greg McClatt. 
And Randy Henry, minor league right hand. Right. Like he could have ended up in the bullpen eventually, probably. He's had arm problems. McClatt, I don't think, can probably hit at the major league level. So, you know, there's not a whole lot of utility that we're actually losing. Right. But yet, you know, it's the off season and it's the only bit of news, so it gets overblown a little. And then a month later, you can't even remember who those guys were. Exactly. And that's that's exactly what's happened. And uh, so for Taylor T. Arden, really, that's just the next Craig Tatum. And uh, Stacy will probably get excited if he ever hits a home run because then she can say, like, <laughs> T for two or something like that. I don't know. What is she... Uh... John Sterling? Yeah. She's the John Sterling of Baltimore? Well, she always wanted to get to say a tater for Tatum, but he never uh, hit one. He, he never there. helped out. No. Yeah. So maybe maybe for Tea Garden it'll be like, I don't know, a lump of sugar, for, a cube of sugar for every guy on base or something. Hey, you know, uh, John Sterling actually got started in Baltimore calling bullets games, I think. I did not know that. How about so, that? A little Baltimore maybe, connection. Yeah. And everybody knows he's the the greatest radio announcer in baseball, right? Oh, yeah. <laughs> so anyway, our, our off-season can basically be summed up uh, with the speech from The Wire by Stringer Bell, which if you've never seen The Wire, you should. But when, <laughs> that was good. When Stringer yeah. Bell is talking to his stupid, uh, incompetent, and disappointing minions in Season 3... And he's telling them that they're giving him way too many 40-degree days because nobody cares about 40-degree days. That's pretty much the Orioles' offseason. It's a bunch of 40-degree days, and nobody cares because it's just a lot of small things. It's a lot of small things. I wouldn't say nobody cares. Well, we care because we're here talking about it, but it's nothing earth-shattering. You know... Dana Evelyn's mom cares. Yes. And I care. My mom cares. It's good for good for your mom that she cares. <laughs> but yeah, it is a lot of of tweaks. So um, one one thing I will say things. that I liked from from Dan Duquette, and we both saw this article and we're talking about it on the Twitter. Uh, there was a Q&A posted by the new Baltimore Sun Orioles beat writer, Eddie Encina, and it was interviewing Duquette, and one of the questions he asked was whether he thinks the Orioles are a 500 team. And Duquette's answer was no, not yet. Now, that was before the Chen Wei Yin signing was finalized, but I don't think Duquette imagines that's going to put the Orioles over the top either. Uh, I personally appreciated Duquette not trying to blow smoke up the fans' butts about that one, because he could have tried to do that, but it's nice to know that... uh, He's not living in some deluded world where the Orioles are one good move away from, you know, being in the playoffs or something, which was kind of the anti McPhail mode of Saperandai. It does seem like, and I'm not going to name names, but when you go over to the two big uh, media conglomerates in town, the Sun and, and Mass in itself, that there's a lot of, I guess, leaning trying to lean towards, oh, well, the Orioles have a really good core. There are only one or two guys away. Like, you don't want to blow up the whole team because you have really good players here. You want to build around these players. 
And that's really frustrating for me because I know better. And, you know, people read them a lot more than they read me. So a lot of people will not know better right. because they're being lied to, basically. But, I mean, being real, if the Orioles had a really good core already, they wouldn't be losing 93 games. Exactly. In, and, exactly. and that was, you know, a miracle that they won enough games that they got to that level anyway because they were on a much worse trajectory. Seems like that's always the case, isn't it? Well, it Where was certainly like the case July. in the year before until yeah. Buck got hired and uh, things turned around after that. Whether or not he was responsible, who really knows? I no longer know. Salad days. That's what those were. Anyway, it was it was it was it was refreshing to hear Dan Duquette admit that this is not a good team right now. He he did say yet, and he has said in the past that his goal is very much to win eighty one games in twenty twelve, which you know it's sort of setting a low bar. But I don't think you're seeing. A guy who says, like, this is my goal, and then is signing a whole bunch of expensive older players to short-term contracts in order to meet that goal. That's exactly right. And that is the other thing I really like. Like, you can say, okay, all of the things Duquette has done are really minor moves, but that also means they're inexpensive moves to just kind of pad out the roster on a team that's really probably not going to be very good barring some kind of miraculous return to what we all hope the young pitchers who were supposed to be the cavalry end up doing. Yeah, and you know, there's a lot to to say for picking up Dana Evelyn and, and Tsuyoshi Wada and whoever else. We haven't we haven't signed a Vladimir Guerrero yet this offseason. We haven't signed a Kevin Gregg kind of overpriced reliever guy. And those yeah, and I mean, it's it's uh it's it's sad that it gets to the level where we have to look at these <laughs> things and be happy about them, but it is a step in the right direction that Duquette is not making these, you know, expensive signings for no point because they're not going to be good players and they're not going to get the team anywhere anyway. Because Vlad was $8 million basically down the drain. Whether or not you, are, you the listener, are a person who likes the wins above replacement statistic or not, I think it's fair to say Vlad wasn't very good in 2011. And in fact, his wins above replacement on Fangraphs was exactly 0.0. So... The idea was that any person could have been called up from AAA, although probably not the Orioles AAA, but some other teams AAA, and equaled Vlad's production. That's pretty sad for Vlad. Yeah. Sad for the Orioles that they paid him $8 million to do that, but that was uh, life in the well, Andy McPhail days, which we're not in anymore, so thank goodness for that. It's always sad to see a guy who was really, really great a Hall of Famer, and to see him in what is probably his last year, and just they they lost it. They don't have what they what they used to have, and that that happens to everybody. You know, it was sad to see like Cowrick and decline first, you know, offensively and defensively. Yes, that's very true. It was sad to see. Well, it's sad to see everybody 
decline and, and stop playing as well because, you know, like, Vlad is, how old is Vlad? 39? I don't think, I think he's 37. I mean, that's not an old, he's not an old man. You know, he's, he should be in the prime of his life. Let's Just... see. Baseballreference.com tells us Vladimir Guerrero, born February 9th, 1975. So he will be turning 37 next month. I mean, it, it's sad to see. Some, it, it sounds stupid because I'm only 26, but <laughs> it's sad to see someone that young just be totally bad at the job that they were like the very best at for a period of time. On a human level, definitely you got to feel bad for any baseball player who's just too old for the game. On an, I mean, on, a, I, on an Orioles fan level, you have to feel bad because those guys keep ending up on our team for way too much yeah, money. Yeah, that's weird. <laughs> These guys keep coming to Baltimore to die. It's like the retirement home of Major League Baseball or something. And That's uh, weird. Dan Duquette has not indulged in that yet, and hopefully he won't, although... If that Manny thing we talked about earlier really comes true, that's that's the Ugh. same thing happening. I can't imagine that. I just can't. No. My, my brain can't fathom it. No. I, I, uh, I can't either, and I can't. I really can't. I don't know what I would do, because it seems so unlikely that it would ever even happen that I can't even think about, well, what would I do if they did that? I, I can't even think about it. Yeah, me neither. It's so it far just... divorced from reality as I understand it and predict it that I cannot imagine the scenario and i really can't yeah that's not hyperbole just i, I don't think anybody's going to sign any ramirez i don't know why anybody would when he's going to be suspended for 50 games and he's still right. going to be old and apparently not anything without steroids which is why he tested positive twice anyway well that's up for some serious debate but... which is yeah which we don't need to get into here so sure the 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 Orioles haven't done much, but other teams, even in the big bad American League East with with uh, rich teams, they're really not doing much either. You know, Yankees, yeah. Yankees fans, Red Sox fans are like freaking out because they're not going to sign Edwin Jackson. And it's like, I mean, you know, that speaks for itself right there, right? Oh, my God, we got to get Edwin Jackson, you guys. Like, wow. You know? I was I was surprised to see both of those teams out on C.J. Wilson. None of them even really mounted a serious public charge for him, which doesn't mean they weren't interested and that they didn't try to sign him. But usually when those two teams want to sign a guy, right. they, they, they look make at, it known. They look at the best well. guy on the market and... They give them the most money, and they're going to New York, or they're going to Boston, and that's the end of the uh, end of the story. Yeah. Instead, the the big story in New York this offseason has been they re-signed Freddie Garcia. They tried to sign. Uh, I have no idea how to pronounce this Japanese outfielder's name, and they couldn't come to a contract agreement with him, and he went back to Japan to the Nippon Professional Baseball League. Yes. I'm sorry. I just I I don't even want to try to pronounce his name because I'll get it wrong and it'll be embarrassing. And then Jorge Posada retired. Right. He was he it. was on the old side anyway, and you know he had to do a lot of things right to uh, to keep having any kind of success in 2011. So that was my little Kevin Gregg-ism right there. 
Um, and then whatever in that Boston, game was in April that I'm still apparently mad about. Right, Boston, it, it, where they love chicken you know, and beer in the clubhouse during the game. Uh, they, I totally lost my train of thought because it just went. Kevin Gregg and everything turned red there for a second. Yeah, that's about how it is. <laughs> in Boston, uh, they have a new manager, obviously. New general which, manager. Uh, right? Double double change. And they have not really done a whole lot. I think their big off-season move so far is they signed Nick Ponto. And boy, when, when that's your big move, you're... Not doing a lot, right? And this is and this is again one of the big bad bullies of the American League East, and these guys are on the sidelines while the Angels and the Marlins are scooping up all the free agents. Oh, actually, I'm totally well. I'm not totally wrong, but the Red Sox have rebuilt their bullpen a little bit. But, you know, they're, they're not enhancing their starting rotation or starting positional pull an awful lot. So, I mean, it's interesting that those guys are kind of idle, too. And You know, I heard an interesting theory about this on Baseball Nation, the main baseball page of SB Nation, which, as you know, is, is us. It is us. We, we are SB Nation. Um, all of these teams holding steady. And to be completely honest... These were really good teams last year. I know the Red Sox just missed the playoffs, but they were still a really good team. Even their pitching. You know, everybody wants to talk about the the shakiness of their rotation, but Orioles fans would probably kill <laughs> right. someone to win ninety games. Exactly. And and going into the future, we have an extra wild card now that get you into the playoffs. And the theory postulated was that teams are looking at that extra wild card and saying, well, the bar just got lowered. I don't have to spend $100 million every offseason trying to make the playoffs. My team's already really good. Because they can get into the one-game playoff, and who knows what will happen from there. Well, once you're in, you can win it. St. Louis Cardinals have proved that to us twice in the last seven years now. I shake my fist. (laughs) You know, it it didn't work out for Tampa Bay last year. Fluke your way into the playoffs and anything can happen. That's just, that's how it goes. It's like we were saying, we did a podcast right before the playoffs. And the two favorites were the Phillies and the Yankees. And it never comes down to the favorites. Well, it, it does sometimes. Never, obviously, it's dumb. But I think in the wild card era, the two what you would call top seeded teams in the playoffs have only met in the World Series once. Something unexpected tends to happen. Right. Exactly. So that I thought that was an interesting theory. Um, I'm not sure if I exactly buy it because I think. There's a big incentive for these teams not to get that second wild card and set up their pitching a little bit better. But then again, you know, do you really want to fight over Edwin Jackson just so that you can get a better position in the playoffs? Yeah, I don't know. Maybe that's their thought process. Who really knows? So the so signing guys, the Orioles are not doing completely nothing. They've made a couple splashes in signing pitchers from. Nippon professional baseball. We got uh, Tsuyoshi Wada and Chen Wei Yin. 
both potentially intriguing guys. I think Chen more than Wada, based on what I've read about him, just because he has more velocity and is less likely to be creamed. <laughs> well, that is sort of uh, the quick scouting report that went around was, um, I think, the specific one that pops into mind is uh, Keith Wall tweeted, and I, I can already hear everybody rolling their eyes who's listening to this in the future, um, when the Orioles signed Siyoshi Wada, that, oh yeah, him and his Greek 47 fastball, totally going to work in the AL East. And that's on the 20 to 80 scout scale. So 47 is very much below average. Right. And that's even his is even lower velocity than Koji Uehara, for instance. So that's why. Or perhaps more telling, is it lower than Brian Mattis's? Oh, uh, no. I don't even want to think about it. So, I mean, you know, guys who don't have fastballs, they very well, much might not survive in the AL East. But both of those guys signed for relatively small dollar amounts. So if they give any value at all to the Orioles, uh, I think they're going to end up being decent, well, yeah. decent contracts. Yeah. And it's probably good to be looking in that direction for talent to be, you know, a friendly destination for players who are looking to come to Major League Baseball from Japan you know, build up all that kind of reputation and goodwill and whatever. And I don't know if, like, a reputation is really, like, an important part of how these guys decide where to go, especially but, with the posting Yes, system, the most obviously. dollar signs is going to decide where they go. But. but it's still important to, you know, have some sort of presence in that market. Plus... You know, with Chen specifically, he signed for what, $12 million? It was three years, I think $11.3 million with a fourth year option for something like $4 million. So potentially so, four years, $15 million, that has a potential to be a fantastic bargain, even if he's and, just a, like a league average starter. Yeah, and he's 26. I would very, very, like nine times a week, which is not possible. Um, I would rather sign that contract than like Joe Saunders to the contract he would get on the open market, which would probably be twice that if he ever could find a four-year deal. Or like Edwin Jackson, who, you know... Apparently wants a five-year sort of... contract, and who knows? If it's it's not a very good off-season for uh, Scott Boris, because he's... Uh, oh, yeah. His big clients are... Kind of twisting in the wind. Prince Fielder obviously hasn't signed yet. Uh, Ryan Madsen had to slink into Cincinnati for one year, $8 million after he had whatever on the table from Philadelphia. <laughs> yeah, that's, um, that's, that's actually a special situation sort of all around where the Phillies ended up like costing themselves a lot of money to do like a marginal at best upgrade at the closer position gave up the and, draft pick before uh, the system could be changed where they wouldn't have right. to give up draft picks anymore which was really the craziest part of that and madsen he might you know he actually might come out ahead because if he puts in a really good year this year he could sign that same four or five year deal next year somebody will be desperate for bullpen help and hopefully it's not the orioles giving out that money that's that's about all. Yeah, but maybe it will be. It might be. 
Uh, uh, I don't even. Speaking know. of speaking of Prince Fielder, you know where where's he going to end up? Where do you where do you think he's going to end up? Because today we heard that the Nats are ninety nine percent out on him. Yeah, it's really interesting. I've heard all kinds of theories. Like the other thing I was reading with him is that well, Scott Voris is waiting to see if the Rangers sign you Darvish or not, and what kind of money the Rangers have if that doesn't happen, or even if it does. But, I mean, that just seems kind of desperate, really, because you don't want to wait that long to get your guy a deal, you know? I, well, maybe Scott Boris does, but I don't think that would be Well, I think ideal. the general, like, the gist of his strategy has been in the past, wait until there are no other options. So if you're the Nationals and you wanted to upgrade at first base, and you had, you know, Pujols was out there. If you wanted to splurge, there were a couple of other cheaper options. Wait till all those good options are gone. And then Boris can go up to him and say, you want a good first baseman? I'm the only show in town. And you got to pay my price. That's true. Although, on the other hand, you got a team like the Chicago Cubs, which was supposed to be in on the Prince Fielder sweepstakes, and they were just like, you know what, we're just going to trade for Anthony Rizzo, and uh, good luck to you, Scott Boris, in finding somewhere for Prince Fielder. Well, I think there's still going to be places, there's plenty of places that he could end up and probably do pretty well for himself. He could go back to Milwaukee. I'm not a huge believer in the Nationals headline that, oh, we're totally out. Like, I've heard that one a million times. Right. Could be could just be a bargaining tactic. They don't want to play the Scott Boris negotiate in the media game, so they're claiming to be out, but you that's know, I thought, just to lure them back in. I thought Fielder made a ton of sense for the Rangers at the beginning of the offseason, and they certainly have a lot of money to play with. Right. The Rangers have Mitch Moreland at first base, which... As kind of, I mean, he's not a bad baseball player, but he's just not a Prince Fielder level. Baseball. And then there's like, there's like the Marlins, who were supposedly in big on pool holes and then just missed out. Right. So there's still that money that could be there, although <laughs> Which... apparently with the Marlins, the reason they could go big on pool holes was they planned to use him to market to the Latin American. Uh, yeah, fan community, probably, which is an angle probably, you can't really play uh, with Prince Fielder. That might that might end poorly. Um, and there's the Cardinals, who do not have a first base. I guess they're going to use Lance Berkman, but they obviously wanted Pujols back. Right. You know, so they're, they're still... I have no idea how interested any of those teams are in Prince Fielder, but there are still situations where he makes sense. Just maybe not at $25 million a year or whatever. Well, Who knows what Boris is out there demanding. But You never know. And with him, specifically, I've learned never to say, oh, yeah, he's totally not going to get that because he always seems to. You know, It only takes one GM to be like, oh, totally, let's do this, $25 million a year. This is the end of part one of Camden Cast, episode 14, recorded on January the 11th, 2012. Part two is available as we speak on Camden Chat and on iTunes. We will see you there.